the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the second chapter of the gospel according to Mark. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with tax collectors, uh, with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. The gospel of the Lord. Something happened to me uh, this year, the last couple months, and it was kind of a loss of innocence. And uh, there, there are several of these as we grow older. And as a pastor, I've, I've watched and experienced with people as they've gone through them um, later in life. But I've had a little bit of a loss of innocence uh, this year. It is 2020 this year. And I graduated in 2000 from high school in 2010, which means that this year is my 10th anniversary, graduation anniversary, right? Which I know for some of you are like, oh man, you're such a baby. But listen, when you hit that 10 years and you get that invitation on Facebook that says, hey, we're having our 10 year um, anniversary graduation celebration um, uh, uh, during homecoming weekend, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, right? Something has happened, right? There's been a change. It's been 10 years um, since I was in high school. And uh, so they added me, I got added to this group that's part of our graduating class where we're planning um, whatever celebration we're going to do later in October. And I was looking through the list of people that were in that group, the list of people that I graduated with. And I realized I didn't like any of these people in high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I realized, um, that really the, the, the individuals that I knew well, that I spent time with, it was really very few. I wasn't an athlete in, in school. Uh, I, I was, I played a, a club sport, uh, but I wasn't a, a school athlete. I wasn't a student athlete in that sense. So uh, my peers did not know me as an athlete. They did, I was not part of the in crowd. I did not know um, a lot of people in my class. I knew a few people in several groups. I was really, spent a lot of time um, in the art wing of school and in the shop class and in music class. I uh, spent a little bit more time there than, than other places. And I realized I really don't, didn't know a whole lot of people in my graduating class. And I really, in high school, I didn't want to know them, right? Um, so I realized that I was kind of the, I was kind of the outcast. I wasn't really outcast. I just, you know, I didn't know a lot of people. And even my friend group was pretty tight. And, and today I'll go back home to my hometown. And I have lots of friends that I went to school with and graduated with in my hometown. But when I go home, it's really only two people that I talk to, right? That I spend time with when I go back home. But I realized something about myself that I really, I was kind of a loser in high school, right? Like I wasn't one of the cool kids. 
I wasn't one of the people who um, got invited to parties. I was actually surprised that I was invited to our 10-year, right? Because I didn't even realize people knew I went to school there with them, right? Um, so I realized something about myself, that I was, not, I was not part of the in crowd. It kind of like reinforced that, um, which is fine with me. I don't care. Um, but what we're going to hear today, maybe some of you are like that, like me, right? You went to high school, you're looking back and you're thinking, man, I really didn't know a lot of people in high school and college. Um, I wasn't part of the in crowd. I, didn't, I wasn't popular. I didn't, wasn't well known in my school. Um, some of you were, and that's fine, but some of you weren't. And today, we're going to hear a story about some people who were definitely not part of the in crowd. And this is how um, our gospel begins. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So we're introduced to this story. It's in the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And if you've ever read the Gospel of Mark, um, it's a shorter gospel. It's the shortest one. And the stories, it's very like, it's almost like a comic book. It's very like punchy, quick stories. Um, Our verses, uh, our stories are really only going to be like two to ten verses long. There's not a lot of teaching in the Gospel of Mark. It's just like these episodes, boom, 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 of Jesus' life, this quick kind of tapestry of all these um, uh, things that Jesus did, all this ministry that Jesus did. And so here in the second chapter, we're about six stories in. He's healed some people. He's cast out some demons. He's called some disciples. And now we're entering into this new story. We're kind of dropped into uh, the middle of this new story. And it says, Jesus went out to the sea the big lake um, in Israel where he normally kind of traveled and he would go from village to village and he would preach. And so we kind of are dropped into this story where Jesus is doing his thing. He's walking around and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And here we hear that there's a whole crowd gathered with him. And in the Greek, um, this phrase would indicate a large crowd. There's people, tons of people are following him. As he goes to a village, people will quit their work uh, for the day. They'll stop what they're doing because they want to come and listen to what this rabbi, this teacher, Jesus has to say. He's an attractive teacher. He's a good communicator. He's good at what he does. And people show up because they want to hear what he has to say. And as he's walking, as he's traveling, He uh, comes along to a man named Levi. We also know him as Matthew. The the other gospels tell us that his name was also Matthew. He wrote the gospel of Matthew, um, son of Alphaeus, and he's sitting at a tax booth. And this is where we have to take our first pause uh, because we need to understand some context around what it means to be sitting um, at a tax booth in first century Israel. I don't know about you. I don't like paying taxes. Moving from Wisconsin to Illinois was challenging because I pay a lot more taxes here in Illinois for a lot worse roads, by the way, um, in Illinois. And uh, in first century Palestine, first century Israel, tax collectors weren't just annoying, but they were actually, they were hated. They were despised because Israel was not a sovereign nation. They were under the control and under the influence of a foreign ruler, the Roman Empire. Uh, The emperor lived in Rome in Italy, and he oversaw and he governed and he ruled most of the Mediterranean world at this time. And what he would do is he would set up these kind of like uh, 
puppet governments wherever he went. And then he would also set up a system to collect taxes to do things like build roads and pay for his lifestyle and do these types of things. And so it was normal for there to be uh, taxers, Roman tax collectors, who would collect uh, taxes from whatever country they were a part of. In Israel, we have a peculiarity because many of these tax collectors, in fact, probably all of them, were Israelites. They were fellow countrymen who were hired to collect taxes for their fellow countrymen. Now, let's just do a quick quick thought experiment. If, God forbid, some other foreign hostile nation took over the United States and one of us or multiple of us started working for that foreign government to extract our money from the rest of us, how would we feel about that person? Not good, right? We would not like that person. That's exactly what's going on here. Tax collectors were recruited and sometimes even volunteered um, to collect taxes from their Jewish neighbors, from their fellow countrymen. These are not good people, right? These are not, these are like the kinds of people, these are traitors, they're turncoats. And in fact, um, as time went on, tax collectors were hated so much, they weren't allowed to worship in the temple. So if a tax collector uh, wanted to be hired as a tax collector, they had to essentially relinquish their faith in Yahweh, their faith in God. They had to stop worshiping God in order to do this thing. Not the kind of people, right, that we would want to be around. Bad guys would be doing this. So they would relinquish their faith. They would uh, turn against their own countrymen and they would begin collecting taxes. And they became so hated that they were treated as if they were uh, Gentiles, non-Jews. So you couldn't touch a tax collector or you were ritually unclean. You couldn't do business. Otherwise you would be ritually unclean. If you were, uh, let's say some sort of tradesperson, you could not work on a tax collector's house. You could not build a tax collector's house. You could not fix a tax collector's house. Otherwise, you would be ritually unclean. You could not go into a tax collector's house or you'd be ritually unclean. And you would have to go through the process of sacrificing animals in order to be able to worship in the temple again, right? Tax collectors were social, cultural, religious, religious outcasts. People did not like these tax collectors. And for good reason. They were traitors. Many of them collected, most of them collected well over what they were supposed to, and they just pocketed the rest. So they were greedy, they were traitors, and they were uh, not part of the social group. They were not okay uh, socially, culturally, politically, right? These were bad guys. And here's Levi, sitting at his tax booth, collecting his taxes, A bald-faced bad guy doing his thing, and he doesn't give a rip. Dirty, rotten scoundrel collecting money from his fellow countrymen. And this is what happens. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So being a disciple of a rabbi was a big deal. That didn't happen to everybody. It, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't even something that happened to most people. That was a special thing if a rabbi invited you to be one of their students. So Jesus goes up, walks past this dirty, rotten, traitorous, greedy scoundrel, and he gives an invitation. Be my disciple. Follow me. Levi 
He says yes, right? Which is strange. And not only does he say yes, but he seems to say, hey, Jesus, come to my house and let's throw a party. And there were many tax collectors and sinners who must have been part of this crowd because it says here that many uh, followed Jesus, many followed Jesus. So they all went to Levi's house, which Jesus has already broken social norms. He entered into a tax collector's house, which you are not allowed to do. Otherwise, you'd be ritually unclean. So here's this rabbi, this very popular teacher, entering into the house of a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And he's eating with other dirty, rotten scoundrels. Not only other tax collectors, but sinners. And this is kind of a catch-all word for anybody who um, didn't participate in the worship life of Yahweh. Of God, So maybe they were too poor to afford the temple tax, or they were too poor uh, to afford the sacrifices. So uh, they were considered unclean, they were considered impure, and uh, they were uh, kind of outcast from uh, the, the social uh, circle. Maybe they were people who were just like, uh, just intentionally breaking the law. Prostitutes, uh, for example, or other individuals, people who made their money by... Um, uh, by stealing or those types of things or extorting, right? These are people, the, this like catch-all term for anybody who's a bad person. The kind of person you see them turn the corner uh, in, the, in the aisle at Walmart and you don't make eye contact with them, right? Face tattoos, right? The way they dress, all this stuff, right? You would not look at them if they turn the corner in Walmart. That's this kind of people, right? Just this catch-all for all these people who are outside of the social and religious norm. And here Jesus is, eating with them. He became ritually impure to enter into this tax collector's house and to eat with other tax collectors. And in fact, uh, this is a time um, where our, uh, our translators don't help us out because this word sitting actually is literally reclining. And here's what they would do when they threw a party. They'd have a table. Most of the time people sat on the floor or they would pull up little stools, short stools, and they would eat uh, normal meals that way. But most dinners, um, or if they had any guests, what they would do is that they would pull up these sofa-like things um, or they would just put a bunch of cushions on the floor and you would have cushions or sofas around three sides of your table so that the servants could, uh, could tend to the table and bring out more food. And you would actually lay on these sofas with other people. Now, first of all, for us in 2020, United States, that's weird. I'm not going to lay next to some dude and eat food with him, right? I'm not going to do that. But this is first century Palestine. Um, the Mediterranean world is much more comfortable with physical touch than we are. Um, I've been here for a year and a half, and I think I've been hugged by like one person because we're Midwesterners, right? We don't hug. We, don't, we handshake. Good firm handshake is what we want. Um, but here we have... This community, uh, this people group who eating together actually meant a lot of like physical contact and you would be practically spooning people while you were eating. It was like this very intimate kind of thing, which is why in, um, in first century Palestine, you did not eat with somebody unless you were at peace with them. You did not eat with someone unless you were in agreement with them because it meant a lot of closeness, a lot of physical contact right? And so if you didn't like somebody or if somebody ripped you off or if you uh, just didn't like how they acted, you would not invite them to your party. That's just how it worked. So it's not like today where we have a party and we have to invite that person we don't like because they're our friend's friend and it's the whole thing. If we don't invite them, there'll be all this drama, right? That's not how they operated. If you were not at peace with somebody, if you did not agree with somebody, you did not eat with them. 
Because eating was a much more intimate, uh, kind of familial experience than it is for us today. So here's Jesus entering into a tax collector's house, becoming ritually unpure, eating with tax collectors and with sinners, with those who have chosen to be outside of the people of God, to be outside of the worship of Yahweh. And he's becoming unpure. He's becoming impure. He's becoming unclean because he's eating with them. He's touching them. He's uh, sharing. He's, they, they had these big communal bowls where they would have olives and hummus and that kind of stuff. And he's, he's sharing a dish with them. And you can imagine um, at this time, at this time um, some of the other people who were following him were upset. And this is what we read. When the scribes of the Pharisees, and that's just kind of a catch-all term for uh, the Pharisees are the higher-ups in the Pharisees, which were this religious group um, who spread piety to the masses. They were actually quite popular um, in Israel. Uh, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, why does he eat? Why does he recline? Why does he, why does he spend time and associate with tax collectors and with sinners? You see, these Pharisees are actually quite a bit like us because they valued honoring God. We kind of had this caricature of Pharisees um, as hyper, these like, kind of like hyper-legalistic, almost like school marms that would like slap your wrist if you did something wrong. But most of these individuals had the best of intentions. They wanted to honor God. They wanted to rightly worship him. They wanted to keep his law and his commands. And they spread piety all over Israel. These were the good guys in Israel. People liked the Pharisees. They liked them. And so here are these Pharisees that we have a lot in common with. They dressed right. They spoke right. They were honorable. They were upright. They were honest. And they go, why is Jesus letting his name be dragged through the mud? Does he, does he do what sinners do? Is he a traitor? Does he sleep with prostitutes, right? And even in some of the other gospels, those kinds of accusations are hurled at him. They call him a drunk. They call him unseemly. They, they uh, accuse him of doing things like sleeping with prostitutes and being a traitor in some of the other gospels because he chose to associate with these individuals. You see, the Pharisees, they had some filters that they were looking at Jesus through. And their filter was primarily a religious filter where they couldn't understand, despite all what the prophets had said in the Old Testament, that there was something new that God was doing in the world. They filtered Jesus through the law, not understanding that Jesus came to fulfill the law and not understanding that throughout the whole Old Testament, it was pointing toward something that God was doing to fulfill and, um, and to fulfill the law and to free us from it. They had this filter with Jesus. And just like the Pharisees, you and I have filters that we look at Jesus with. Um, and as a pastor, I can tell you that there, are, I can tell you several of these filters. We're going to look at two. And the first filter is the filter of our cultural um, and political values. That's the first filter. That we tend to um, treat people who don't dress like us, who don't talk like us, who don't smell like us, who don't have jobs like us. We tend to treat them as um, inferior, right? As morally suspect, 
right? I joked earlier about turning the corner in a Walmart aisle, seeing somebody that kind of scared you and not looking away, and, and looking away from them, not making eye contact. I'm guessing for most of you, that's happened, right? That's happened. You've had that experience where you've kind of been put on edge because of the person that uh, moved in three doors down, right? Maybe because of the car that they drive or maybe because they've had a car sitting in their yard for six years and it's broken down, right? And they have whatever, uh, you know, whatever marijuana flag sitting in their window and you, you see them as kind of morally suspect. and You don't want to interact with them because you're a little bit afraid. And I know some of you in here are the type of people that people don't make eye contact with you. I am too. It's okay. Um, we'll get over it. But I know that many of us do that, right? We kind of apply our middle-class cultural values onto other people. And if they aren't what we consider right, we kind of treat them as morally suspect, kind of inferior. Jesus is the kind of person, if Jesus were to come into, uh, to, to the United States in 2020, the kind of people that you're scared of are the people that he would go and interact with. That's what we're talking about with these tax collectors and sinners. He would go and he would eat with the felon that lives two doors down, that has tattoos all over his face, that you know, works at the gas station for 16 hours a week, right? He would, he would eat with the person who's a drug addict that can't seem to kick the habit. He would go and interact with and associate himself with the very people that we treat as morally suspect because we apply our cultural values Onto them. Here's another one. If you're a Republican, if Jesus would come to 20, come to the United States in 2020, guess who he would eat with? Democrats, right? And if you're a Democrat, guess who he would eat with? Republicans, right? Jesus was the type of person who would go to the individuals that were hated and mistreated and uh, social outcasts, and that's where he did. His work, And in fact, he reemphasizes this point. When Jesus heard this, when word got back around about the Pharisees complaining, he said to them, probably his disciples, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus makes a point here. His kingdom is, is uh, instituted and is founded not on the people that we would suspect, not on the names that have good honor associated with them. He's going to go to those people who have bad names, who have done bad things, who have um, irreparably ruined their lives through substance abuse, through bad decisions. That's who he would go to. That's who he would spend time with. And in fact, later, um, after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, uh, there was a church in a place called Corinth that found themselves in this situation. Paul, in the first letter to the Corinthians, the first five chapters, he outlines how the Corinthians are these kinds of people. He calls them the scum of the earth. That's where we get the phrase scum of the earth from. It's from scripture. And it's because the Corinthians were the worst of the worst. But Paul tells the Corinthians something. He says, God chose what looks foolish to humans in order to prove that all humans are in fact foolish. Because all of our 
values and all of our filters that we put on ourselves and others, all the lines that we draw that we say, you're out and you're in because you look like this and you do this and you work here and you believe this and have these political views. We draw these lines and we say who's in and who's out and God comes and he just frustrates them all. Jesus comes to earth and he associates and he drags his name through the mud with the lowest of the low. He allows people to accuse him. He allows people to mistreat him because he wants to show us that even the people that we think are the worst are in fact honored. The people that we think are the worst are in fact saved. And if there's hope for them, there's hope for us, right? God shows us that we all are all in fact pretty messed up. And in fact, in God's eyes, the person down the street that you don't want to associate with that kind of scares you, you are just as much a sinner as that person. You are in the same boat as they are, helpless in your sin, completely and utterly broken. And you can, you know, whatever, you can fake it. It's okay. You smile and you wear nice things, you go, right? But really, we're all pretty messed up, right? And so God shows us that in fact, by dragging his name through the mud, that he's saving us all, that we're all in when it comes to God. And he makes the call to these individuals and they respond. Some of them don't, but many of them do. And they change their life, not because he demanded repentance first, but because he associated with them. He went to them, spent time with them. He, he preached the gospel to them and they were made new People. They were given a new name, Christian. So this is what we see today. Following an unfiltered Jesus means risking our name to give them his name. It means risking our honor. It means risking our reputation in order to give those who are outcasts in our society Jesus' name. I'm sure that you know some outcasts in your neighborhood, Um, around your workplace, in your community. I'm sure you know some of the places where they spend time. That's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is operating. He's operating in the worst of the worst. His spirit is operating in the worst homes. And we read earlier that not only did Jesus go into those places, but his disciples went with him. If Jesus came to the United States in 2020, he would go into those homes of people we think, um, are just unacceptable. And he would drag us in there, kicking and screaming with him. Following an unfiltered Jesus means risking our own name so we can give the name Christian to those who are in need and to our outcasts in our community. You do more work trying to find find You'll find more trouble trying to hide